Thank you so much for your loving and kind introduction, and thank you all of you for giving me your evening. I feel very honored and very grateful that you would spend your holy and valuable time with me. What I want to do tonight is to offer you an amazing feast, the feast of the divine poetry of one of humanity's two universal mystical poets, Rumi and Kabir, the two who have gone beyond any others and who speak with a lacerating, holy, gorgeous, wild authority beyond religion. And those two are Rumi and Kabir. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to begin by quoting two poems of Kabir and perfuming your mind with the astonishing evolutionary vision that underlies everything Kabir gave us. And then I'm going to step back and offer you what I believe is happening in the world at the moment and why what's happening in the world at the moment, the great evolutionary birth of a new humanity that's taking place in the middle and through the chaotic and destructive death of all of our fantasies and delusions. I'm going to try and show you why Kabir is so important for this next level of our evolutionary possibility. And then when that field that is Kabir is established in the room, I'm going to share with you seven of his greatest poems. But I'm going to share them with you under the golden umbrella of a process that I call engoldenment, the turning to gold of one's mind, of one's heart, of one's body, the cells of one's body. Nothing less, in fact, than the greatest secret at the core of the mystical traditions, the secret of transfiguration, the secret of the complete transformation of the human into the consciously divine human. So this is going to be an adventure, my friends, between the two of us, the three of us, the ten of us, the, and all the heavenly hosts that are listening and all the bodhisattvas and buddhas that want us to wake up to what's really going on, so that we don't despair, but live in joy and cooperate with the birthing powers of an astounding new truth. Okay? So let me throw out two short poems by this stupendous 15th century Indian mystic, the greatest mystic of India, the mystic that is loved most in India, and especially by ordinary people who sing Kabir as they sell soap and cigarettes, who sing Kabir as they take people in their cabs, who sing Kabir as they take people down in their boats, the holy rivers. So these two poems, they go to the core of the core of the core of what this great radical of the soul is trying to give you and me. 
The first one goes like this. More than anything else, I cherish at heart what in this world makes me live a limitless life. I know you're not just listening to the poems, because nothing will happen to you if you just listen to the poems. These are not poems to listen to. These are poems to make love to with the whole of what you know from your journey. And I'm going to take that poem and I'm going to share it with you again and I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to engage at the beginning of this talk with what you know so that we can meet in the heart that is Kabir. More than anything else, I cherish at heart, more than anything else, more than power, more than money, more than fame, more than sex, more than any kind of learning, more than anything else, I cherish I keep alive and vibrant and juicy in the depths of my heart. What in this world, what in this creation, what in this manifestation, what in this experience that you and I are having in bodies of the divine, what in this world makes me live a limitless life? compels me, forces me, inspires me, infuses me, ravishes me, ravages me, enough to make me live my real authentic life, which is not a life enslaved to illusion, not a life addicted to power, not a life driven merely by sense pleasure, not a life formed and deformed by karma and trauma, but a life that is lit up secretly by divine consciousness, a life that's lived steeped in divine knowledge, a life that's lived saturated by the tender, blissful, brimming, constantly dynamic, energetic ecstasy of divine love, a life in which everything I speak, everything I feel, everything I do is done consciously, sacredly, as a prayer, as an act of love as an act of divine tenderness towards all being. So my question to you, my friends, tonight, as we begin this exploration, is what makes you live a limitless life? What makes you live a limitless life? Anyone, just speak from your heart, speak from your experience. Don't put me up here, I'm not television, I'm speaking to you from within you. So, talk to me. What makes you live a limitless life? Yes, madam. My kitties. My kitties. Good, wild, gorgeous answer. Especially to a cat maniac like myself. 
because I've discovered, as I'm sure you've discovered, that the love of an animal is an initiation into embodied tender love, isn't it? And it's a source of amazing joy. Thank you. Someone else. Love of another, love of self. Tell me why love of another helps you live a limitless life. Because it's a reflection and a mirror of the deep love I feel within. Yes. And because too, don't you think, when you truly love another being, when you really love another man or woman with heart and mind and soul and body, what you experience in that love is the limitless, spaceless, timeless love of the beloved himself, herself. That when we really love with the fullness of our being another being, the beloved in us loves the beloved in them and the beloved in experience. And that love that seems so personal actually opens up into a love that bathes the whole creation and that reveals the whole creation to be the dance of the bliss of love. And that's the great secret of human love as a can opener to divine love, isn't it? Yes, lovely. One more. That's beautiful. Come, my friends. This is a celebration. This is not misery we're about on this day. Yes. Her stalker. Basically, I don't know what it is. I just know that it's relentless. What? What makes me live. It's a force. It's relentless. It's a force of what? Describe this force, this relentless force. I don't force. have a description. I only have experience of it won't leave me alone. It being the divine won't leave you alone. Right. There's a divine force living our lives that springs from the core of our divine identity, this original blessing that we all come with. And once you've made even the most minimal contact with that force, you can't escape it. It takes you over. It possesses you. It keeps opening you. It keeps revealing secrets. In the middle of a boring walk, it suddenly reveals to you that everything is radiant with the presence of the divine. Doesn't it? Well, I don't always experience it like that, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> well, it can be very fierce, too. It can be very savage. It can expose you to illusion, and that's also part of its power. But it has that initiatory power. It constantly takes you beyond your norms, beyond your conventions, beyond your sorrows, beyond the ways in which you fix experience to show you that experience is a fountain of subtle miracle. And that's what we're living. That's what we are alive in, this great, relentless, dynamic dance of life. And that takes me to the second great poem of Kabir. You may think that you are limited in all sorts of ways, and you may know that you are limited in all sorts of ways, but it's not your divine self that's limited. It's the human self that's limited. 
That's the first recognition. The second recognition is that if you can, through mystical practice, turn to experience your divine self, you realize that your divine self has chosen this human incarnation, this human body, this human life, to express itself. So you're not quite as limited as you imagined before. And then, as the divine and the human come together in you, you start to realize something totally amazing, which is very difficult to put into words, but which is something like this. You start to realize that if you stand in the rain and give $20 to a homeless person with true respect and true love, listening with your whole being to the pain of that being, you're not doing a small act in a tiny back street of a forgotten city. You're doing a cosmic act out of the inspiration of life to another being as divine as you <coughs> with a deep, soulful truthfulness that has invisible repercussions throughout the universe. That's living a limitless life. Right? So let's get to the second poem, otherwise we may never get home. We may be here for hours. Indira Gandhi used to say she never gave a speech in India that was a real speech unless it lasted three hours. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on for hours now. I just want to get, give you a taste of the miraculous power of this poet. There are five lines that Kabir gave us which you'll see are very important to me. And you'll see that for me what these lines represent is the next level of human evolution. The level that's trying to be born through the chaos and madness and destruction of our time. So I'm going to just introduce these five lines, but I'll be going back to them in ways that you'll see, I hope, will be very revealing. So here they are. And again, don't listen to them as if I'm entertaining you with this 15th century mystical poet from India. Listen to them as if they were, and really they are, news of your essential self. Mystical poets don't write entertainment. They write revelation. They give their lives to be struck again and again by the lightning of God so they can give us that gleaming lightning to light up our ignorance and light the way to our authentic and most radiant empowerment. That's the glory of the great mystics. And Kabir is the Everest of mystics. There is Kanchenjunga, that's Rumi, and then there's Everest, and that's Kabir. These are the two that stand in majesty, pouring out to us the inspiration we need at this tragic moment. So here are the five lines. Listen, this is incredible stuff. My father is the absolute Godhead. And my mother 
is the embodied Godhead. And I am their divine child dancing for them both on the burning dance floor. My father is the absolute Godhead and my mother is the embodied Godhead and I am their divine child dancing for them both on their burning dance floor. Four lines and that is the four lines of the new divine human. And the new divine human is going to be someone, male or female, it doesn't matter, gay or straight, it doesn't matter, Hindu or Buddhist, it doesn't matter, because all of the religious distinctions and dogmas and divisions are over. Now a new kind of human being is being forged. And that human being is announced in those incredible lines, because Kabir lived this transfiguration process. Kabir was birthed into this next level in the 15th century, was one of those fish who leapt out of a toxic sea and struggled on a new dimension to become a bird, to grow new organs of perception. And what he's announcing is where we are going. We're being taken, dragged by the flaming hair into a transformation that is destined to transform us if we allow it, if we collaborate with it, into grounded, ecstatic, divine human beings who unite the opposites within themselves and then live their lives as a dancing feast of celebration and compassionate action in service of the birth of a holy new way of doing everything. And that way depends on really understanding at the deepest level what Kabir's meaning. My father is the absolute Godhead. Meaning, when I wake up, I realize that the ground of my being, the engendering source of my being, is deathless awareness, is enlightened, original, primordial, naked, light, joy, knowledge, consciousness. That's my dad. And having Shiva, if you like, as your father, means that you never need be broken by what happens, that you need never despair at the madness of the world, that you need never be paralyzed by the horror erupting everywhere, because you know that you have never been born in your essential self, and you will never die because you're tasting that self. You're living the peaceful, all-embracing, spacious awareness of that self, and you know that that is where you come from. But that's not the only realization you need to birth the new kind of being, because you cannot simply uh, 
be addicted to light consciousness. You cannot simply just go out into that spacious awareness and think that's the only aspect of the divine you need to connect with. Because Kabir says in the second line, and my mother is the embodied Godhead. My mother is this great force of loving, energetic, dynamic, ecstatic power that creates all of the universes and lives in every quark and neutrino in every stone in every leaping dolphin in every blade of grass in absolutely every grain of dust because the entire creation is holy and sacred and saturated at every level with the mother love the mother power the mother splendor of the goddess and what that means, my friends, what that means is something absolutely astounding, which Kabir's poetry will reveal to you if you dare to walk into it with no clothes on. What that means is that as a child of the eternal light and the embodying mother creative power of that light, your being, your mind, your heart, your body are potentially all transformed by the knowledge of your fundamental identity with the light and with the whole light manifested in the creation as light energy. And what that means is that you're the divine child of the light and of the entire creation that is the glorious and holy and gorgeous and wild and amazing and astounding manifestation of that light, and it's all you. And you're the divine child of that entire experience. And the whole of your mind is potentially infinitely dedicatable to the light. And the whole of your heart can become a wild, sacred heart in service of the great, holy love of the light. And the whole of your body, yes, your body, your body, your body, can through the inestimable, precious, Grace of love be transformed into gold, into gold through an enlightenment process that is an engoldenment process, that is a transfiguration process that changes your mind into a divine mind in service of truth, your heart into a divine organ of passion in service of compassion on every level and in every realm, and your body increasingly into a consciously divine, throbbing, dynamic, energized, ecstatic, cellularly saturated with presence, temple, vibrating with the living presence of the father-mother. And listen to those lines. They're astonishing lines. And I am their divine child. The liberation that Kabir is speaking about and singing about and experiencing 
is not a liberation that makes you some boring sage or some guru trapped in a series of dogmas which you then sell in the filthy marketplace of the capitalist spirituality that we've been condemned to. That's not what happens. What happens is as this power, this love, this energy takes over your mind and your heart and increasingly saturates and opens up and starts transforming your body, is that you're born as a free being, as a child, a divine child, dancing for them both, dancing for the original consciousness and dancing for the laws of harmony and compassion and justice that govern the manifestation and dancing for them both, giving your whole self to that dance on their burning dance floor, this burning dance floor that is the creation that is dying and rebirthing in the fires of the divine beauty. That's a vision, don't you think? That's an astonishing vision. Now, I've thrown out those two poems just to give you a taste of a taste of the radical, wild power of what Kabir is saying. But in order to really get why it's so important to listen to Kabir at this moment and to be inspired by Kabir at this moment, I think it's very important to try and understand as far as we can, and it is a huge mystery, the secret meaning of the catastrophic, apocalyptic situation that we find ourselves in. And it is both. And I'm sure you're awake by now catastrophic and potentially apocalyptic. We could lose the world and live to see the extinction of the human race if we continue doing the kind of crazy, hubristic, mad things that we're doing. It's quite obvious. The United Nations has given us 10 years in which to restructure everything if we're going to avoid absolutely horrific climate collapse. Their wildlife report came out in June and said that a million species are now on the brink of extinction. And the signs go on. If you feel this is only a death, that horror that is erupting now will paralyze you and drive you into the arms of desolation and despair. So many people are there already. But if you step back and listen to the great mystics and really plunge into a study of what mystical transformation authentically demands, and if you, above all, read the great evolutionary mystics of the last 150 years, the great evolutionary mystics like Aurobindo, like Father Bede Griffiths, like Teilhard de Chardin, among others, what they will tell you, and what I want to share with you, is that when you know that what we're living through isn't an ordinary catastrophe or apocalypse, but an extraordinary 
spiritual process that is a global dark night process, when you know that, and when you know by the grace of the beloved and by your own inmost experiences I can share with you, and by the grace of Rumi and the great ones who have lived through this dying process, to be reborn as divine human beings through and because of this dying process, then you understand that there is a birth taking place in the middle and through this great death. There's a birth of a new kind of human being that understands that his or her father is the absolute Godhead, his or her mother is the embodied Godhead, and who understands that he or she is the divine child of this vast ecstatic dance of opposites, and understands that the whole point of being on the earth right now in the middle of this madness is not to succumb to this madness, but to understand that this madness Madness, this violence, this terror, this destruction, this chaos, this horror are all divine, are ordained, and are here to force a vast transformation of the human race from being a human race addicted to vanity and illusion and power and destruction to becoming a human race humbled by tragic experience to open to the mystery so that it can be transfigured by its heart, mind, soul, and body. How amazing. How amazing. And if you really know this through grace, and if you're taught this by your own experience, what happens to you is that you don't become overwhelmed by the pain and the madness and the horror. You react, you are compassionate, you help, you serve, you give everything you can. You do whatever you're prompted to do. But most of all, you keep your deepest energies, your greatest hopes, your most passionate vision, your deepest inner and outer work. You keep all of that for the birth that's also taking place, that you serve that birth with how you live yourself and how you speak to others to give them courage and joy and hope. When you know that this great dying process that we're in, which all of us are suffering from, and all of you in this room are suffering from, we all feel its agony. But when you know that this is an ordained process designed by the love of the mystery to force a great evolutionary transformation, which Kabir lived first and gives extraordinary witness of, then your life becomes filled with magical hope. Hope that lives in the midst of the most fiery despair and opens even the darkest despair to wholly new and miraculous possibilities. So that's why I spent five years with Kabir in a cabin in Arkansas working on these astonishing, fierce, laceratingly pure, naked, simple, absolutely convinced and convincing poems. That's why I devoted those five years to this work, because 
I came to understand at the deepest level through Kabir's grace that Kabir is a precursor, a pioneer of this great birth and can help you and I do the inner and outer work of this birth so that instead of being overwhelmed and paralyzed and beaten down and shattered and broken by the inevitable death of our illusions and our structures and our institutions, all of which is coming, instead of being beaten down, we can rise like phoenixes from the ashes of an old reality and claim the astonishing new beauty that's being offered us by the Beloved. And it's that astonishing new beauty that you're going to hear in these seven poems, these seven lightning poems from the core of Kabir's experience of engoldenment. First of all, I'm going to read you the introduction to my book, in which I tried to, in the clearest way I could, make this as clear as possible. So, my friends, it has been a supreme honor of my life to have spent five years of it in the secret, unremitting presence of Kabir. And what he has given me is beyond any of my words to express, because he has come into me and blessed and scourged and broken and begun to awaken me. What work or thanks of mine could ever be enough for such a gift beyond price? For five years I have worked with my whole mind, heart and body on breathing and living Kabir's words, the fierce temperature of his truth. I worked with my smattering of Hindi with many scholars in India and Europe and from many translations in different languages, French, Italian, German. And the ones that I learned most from are by two amazing women scholars, Charlotte Vaudeville and Linda Hess, and I salute them. All this strange, precise, ecstatic work took place on different continents in the gaps of the busiest and most exhausting period in my life. So I lived with Kabir in airports and hotels and planes and restaurants and trains, walking his streets of Benares, speaking him to the blazing stones of the Namibian desert, dreaming of his ecstatic singing one Christmas in Istanbul. I lost myself deliberately and with awe in Kabir and the limitless life our love was unveiling in me. And this book turned me to gold, 108 translations organized as a mystical symphony, direct, clear, accurate translations of Kabir, is my attempt to die into the splendor he sings, so it could sing out again its prophecy of divine embodiment. Kabir is far more than a poet. He is a universal initiatory field, as expansive as Rumi and as embodied radical and ferocious as Jesus. He is the voice of the evolutionary truth and its piercing love, and we have never needed to hear him more or been more ready to hear him. Time has come for Kabir to speak directly to us to announce to us the birth 
in us through this great shattering apocalyptic annihilatory death of the new divine human. It's time to listen. Because if we do, then, oh my God, the inspiration and the joy and the peace and the passion and the purpose and the ecstasy that can stream into the core of our lives to make us noble mother-lover midwives of a new reality. Our choice. Your choice. I've chosen. So I'm going to read and share with you seven of his wildest and most radical poems. Kabir was born in the 14th century and lived into the beginning of the 15th century. He was a poor man, lived his life in poverty deliberately because he despised what the world thought of as success, what the world thought of as fame. He was a mystic who woke up beyond religion. He was deeply moved by Hindu mysticism, deeply informed by Sufi mysticism, but realized that both religions were corrupt, playing boys' club games of intimidation, oppression, and manipulation. And he spoke directly, nakedly, of a direct connection with the absolute that could liberate us in the core of our lives from all conventions and all dogmas and all enslaving patriarchal systems that tried to keep us limited in any way. So he is the supreme rebel and revolutionary of the mystical world. And here is his declaration of independence on your and my behalf. And this is God speaking. Wherever you go looking for me, I'm already always by your side. You're looking at me, I'm looking at you, but it's absurd. God's right here with you, in you, right now. There's no place that's holier than any other place. Everything is God, and there is a naked, simple, pure, direct communion with that divine presence available to all human beings, always as a direct original blessing. That's the revolution. And this is just the first two lines. <laughs> Wherever you go looking for me, I'm already always by your side. I'm not in sacred places. I'm not in temple idols. I'm not in solitary retreats. I'm already always by your side. I'm not in temples or mosques. I'm not in the Kaaba. I'm not in Kailash. I'm already always by your side. I'm not in austerities, not in meditation, not in feasts, not in fasts, not in rituals laid down in sacred texts, not in yogic exercises. None of that. I look for me with passionate sincerity. I'll be beside you immediately. Kabir says, seeker, listen to me. Where your deepest faith is, I am. He's burning down the entire costume party, right? 
saying that it is a complete manipulation of the really outrageous and all-transforming truth, which is that God's here with us right now, right here, and when we believe and when we long and when we burn with adoration, that divine burns in us and with us. We are divine children of a totally empowering father, mother. Wow. <coughs> and that's the first poem I thought I'd share with you. And this is the second poem in which Kabir shows us what happens to somebody who claims this naked, direct, original connection beyond religion, beyond dogma, who just believes what the great mystics of all the traditions tell us, which is the same thing. God's right here, right now, living in us, waiting for us to recognize that glorious truth. What happens when you do? Listen, this will give you the secret of secrets and give you the faith to believe in the engolden process because you have to have faith to believe that something so amazing as your transfiguration from an ordinary, crazy, karmically disturbed human being into a living, conscious, divine human being could be possible. And this is why it's possible. Listen, it's amazing. The Lord himself is a guest in your heart. Why are you still so desperately seeking him? Offer your whole heart to the beloved before night darkens it. How many eons you've waited for this momentous chance. Go near now to his heart. Offer yourself selflessly. He'll give you an ocean of ecstasy and explain to you himself love's mysteries and essence. Kabir says, how could I ever express how blessed I am to have won his unshakable love? Oh. This is such an astonishing poem because it's another declaration of independence. What Kabir is saying is that if you realize, make real, real to yourself the amazing truth that the Lord, the divine creator, Lord, mother, doesn't matter what you call it, the beloved, the entire force of the entire universe is a guest in your heart out of original blessing. If you do really, really, really realize that and really, really get how unbelievably that is a blessing and that that is an opportunity, then what you'll do is that you'll turn now, 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 your heart to the heart in adoration. And when you make that primordial movement of the depth of yourself to the depth from which that depth arises, when you make that primordial movement, you make yourself available to being instructed directly in your mind and in your heart-mind directly about the mysteries and about love's essence. 
You don't need the priests. You don't need the gurus. You don't even need the books. What you need is that relationship. And in that relationship, the beloved will then lead you revelation by revelation, dream by dream, teaching by teaching, into the gorgeous mystery of transfiguration. Go near now to his heart. Offer yourself selflessly. He'll give you an ocean of ecstasy, an ocean, a seething, endlessly dynamic experience of the whole of life as this dance of ecstasy. That will you be given that. And you will have explained to you by the beloved love's mysteries and essence. That's how amazing the direct relationship is. But in order to have this gorgeous experience of illumined mind, shattered open sacred heart, and increasingly divinized body, all the mystics agree on one thing. And that is that we will have to be brave enough and surrendered enough to love, to die to the false self, to the doubting self, to the self that closes constantly our experience, when in fact our experience, if we are surrendered to love, can become an endlessly expanding one. Because as Sham said to Rumi, the world of God is a world of endless expansion. But in order to enter that world of endless expansion, you have to die to the world of illusion and fantasy. And you have to die to everything that you imagine to be your limited human self through an experience that is a dark night. And here is Kabir's tremendous poem, Savage and real and amazing about the world we're in and about this process. This, I've discovered, is true knowledge. Those who scramble to get into a boat sink like a stone midstream while the shelterless and abandoned reach the other shore. Those who dare to take the hard, winding, thorny road, they get to town in the end, but those who stroll the easy highway get robbed or even killed soon after they set out. Everyone's wound in illusion's web, the so-called holy as much as the worldly, and those who run for safety under the comforting dais of form and ritual and dogma, well, life's hurricane lashes them. Stay out in the open. You'll be left safe and dry. The ones love never savages live in boredom and pain. Those love devours like a cannibal live in bliss forever. The ones who lose their own eyes come to see the whole creation blazing in their own light. But those who hold on to their sight remain blind as bats in full noon. When I began to awaken to the truth, I saw how bizarre and crazy this world really is. That is 
an astoundingly ferocious poem because it's saying to each of us, it's saying, if you think this process is just an easy stroll around the path, you are deluding yourself. This is a tough process. This is a grueling process. It demands a death. It demands total sincerity, total authenticity, the greatest imaginable passion of the heart for transformation. So get with that program and realize that you can be trapped in illusion in so many ways. The best way, Kabir is saying, in which to really put yourself in the, to the stream of transfiguration is to stay out in the open, not to hide behind any form, behind any ritual, behind any religion, but to get out into the open and expose your heart nakedly to the heart in mystical absorption in the one. And Kabir is saying that if you don't get cannibalized by love, possessed by love, eaten by love, destroyed and remade by love, you're living a completely boring, dead life already. You're not, in fact, living at all because you haven't been killed by love into eternal life. Listen again. The ones love never savages live in boredom and pain, and those love devours like a cannibal live in bliss forever. So don't be frightened of the suffering and the torment that actually destroy the illusion in you. Don't be afraid of loss that loses only things that die. Don't be afraid of the madness of the destructive powers dancing in the world because they are destroying what needs to be destroyed. Allow love to shatter you and remake you and rebirth you as love's mind, love's heart, love's dynamic dancing body. That's what the great mystics always do. And that's the key to being reborn in this astounding evolutionary drama that we're going through. And this poem really makes clear what's required to be able to die like that way, in that way. My darlings, we're never going to die into love unless we're hopelessly in love with love. We're never going to die into being love's mind, love's heart, love's body unless we allow ourselves through mystical practice and through the grace of the beloved to fall so wildly, so passionately, so devotedly, so hopelessly in love with love that we'll let love do anything to us to get us into the birthing process and to be born in the way that truly rises to our most authentic splendor. And this he says very clearly in this poem. And he just says it because Kabir doesn't flatter, Kabir doesn't play games, Kabir doesn't enchant, Kabir is not trying to be user-friendly, Kabir has no desire whatever to appear on Oprah, to be available <laughs> and accessible. Kabir is speaking the truth of the process and this is what the truth as all the great lovers have found out, truly is. So listen, I think it's worth listening to. 
without devotion to the beloved, all your practices are illusion. Do them zealously, pursue them passionately, they'll still be in vain. You ignorant dolt, your penances are vain, your austerities are vain, what you consider your vast knowledge is vain, and so without the Lord's name are your meditations and contemplations. Your rites, your rituals are vain, your adorations are vain, all your do's and don'ts are vain, they just plunge you deeper into the sea of delusion and will never help you reach the shores of bliss and peace. People hunger for sense pleasures and rush to satisfy the palates of their mind, teach them truth, and all they'll do is raise doubt after doubt and revel in useless quarrels. Kabir the slave is lost in love of the beloved. All delusion gone. I've given up vain games. Kabir is saying, if you want this great, holy, wild mystery of transfiguration to be activated in you, you can't do this coolly. You can't do this sitting back in your armchair with little lists of what you must do before breakfast and after breakfast and how you have to have your granola and then you're gluten-free, and then do your half hour of yoga. It's not about those little adorable <laughs> tactics. It's about allowing yourself to break into a totally sane, crazy flame, a passionate devotion at the deepest imaginable level, the deepest level you're capable of, of the one, of the beloved, because it's only that kind of wild, holy, burning, ecstatic, blind, unknowing, knowing love that can bring you into the dance of the mystery. And that takes us deep into the mystery, the mystery of this process. And the last three poems are poems that speak directly out of what it means to live as a consciously divine, consciously human being. And these poems have never been equal. There are no poems like this in any mystical poet. Because Kabir is speaking out of the experience of a life aflame with divine truth and beauty in its most ordinary particulars. This new human being that I'm speaking of and that Kabir is trumpeting and proclaiming and pioneering and calling out in his great poetry, this new human being is not going to wear robes or have fancy names or live in palaces and have weird, bizarre rituals. This human being is going to be primordially naked human, absolutely devoted to the ordinary as a constant source and flaming out of miracles. Going to understand at the deepest level who you and I really are and what life is. <laughs> And here is the greatest imaginable poem of that realization. 
seeker. The simple union is the best. The simple union is the best. The union right now of our mind with the mind, of our heart with the heart, and of our body with the dynamic, glorious mother energy that's manifesting everything, that everything is tremblingly vibrant with. That's the simple union, and that's the best. That doesn't have a name. That doesn't have a religion. That hasn't a dogma. It's a living, brimming, wild, holy, normal, extraordinary, miraculous experience of the whole being aflame with God. And this is the poem of that, being aflame in the middle of your ordinary life, drinking your coffee, stroking your cat with God. The limitless life that's available to you and I. Seeker, the simple union's the best and since the day when I met him, there has been no end to the joy of our love. I don't shut my eyes. I don't close my ears. I don't mortify my body. I see with open eyes and I smile and I see his beauty everywhere. I say his name and whatever I see, it reveals him and whatever I do becomes his worship. Rising, setting are both one to me. All contradictions have vanished. Wherever I go, I move around him. Everything I do is service to him. And when I lie down, I lie prostrate at his feet. He is the only one I adore. There is no other. My tongue has abandoned all impure words and sings his splendors day and night. And when I get up or sit down, I cannot forget him because the pulse of his music is always throbbing in my ears. Kabir says, my heart is ablaze. I unveil what is hidden in my soul. I am drowned in that one great bliss that transcends all joy and pain. I'm going to end with that poem and actually with the prayer that I wanted to end with because that poem contains the map of the new divine human. This new divine human will not shut his or her eyes. There won't be any mortification of the senses because the senses will be experienced as divine doors into the divine truth and beauty of reality. I don't shut my eyes. I don't close my ears. I don't have to turn off from the world to get to the real world. I'm in the real world, in the middle of this wild, chaotic, gorgeous, manifest mother world. I'm in it. I'm seeing it. I'm feeling it. I'm relating to it. I open my eyes. I see the divine resplendent in the grass, resplendent in the dancing squirrels, resplendent in the children, resplendent in the beautiful bodies of men and women, resplendent in the great arts. I see it with open eyes and I smile. I smile because I see his beauty everywhere. Normally. Right? That is what it means to be turned to gold.
Because as your mind becomes a golden mind, dedicated to illumination and truth, as your heart becomes an engoldened heart, burnt away and remade in the golden fire of the father-mother, and as your body slowly starts to wake up to the love force that is relentlessly living it, then, oh my God, you discover that the world you are in is absolutely engoldened already. It is sacred and holy beyond imagining already. And you live in conscious, tender, glorious, wise, harmonious, actively compassionate relationship with it, giving everything naturally in celebration and in praise and in service, gambling your life for God naturally to help co-create with God humbly and wildly a whole new way of being and doing everything. And that's Kabir's challenge to us, that's Kabir's invitation to us, that's Kabir's mission to the planet to open up this glorious way of dancing on the burning dance floor of the father-mother as consciously human, consciously divine beings, embracing whatever it takes for us to be born as we truly can be. And in that great transformation that we're all in right now, in this great evolutionary shift that Kabir understood that we'd be going into, and whose goal he lived through, and whose goal he speaks from in these astounding poems. Here is a prayer to bless us all, and to give us the courage to throw away now everything that's no longer useful, step into the nakedness of the direct connection, open our hearts to the heart so that we can be taught directly by love itself, love's mysteries in essence. So here it is, Kabir's prayer for this great transfiguration process to ripen in you and me at this time of the world's potential extinction if this great golden wave doesn't rise in millions of people. Let there be your love, Lord, burning softly in every cell of my dying and transfigured body. By your wild and merciful grace, Lord of truth, turn me to gold so I can love in perfect fullness you who loves in me. Listen to those last four lines. They're so amazing if you can just taste a tiny part of what Kabir is communicating. You will run out of this room dancing naked, but the cameras will be turned off so that our wild and strange bodies will not have to flash out across the internet. <laughs> Listen, he's saying, turn me to gold. Turn me to gold. Let me be born as the conscious child of the absolute father and embodied mother so that I can, so that I can live in perfect fullness. Fullness of mind. 
fullness of heart, fullness of consciously divine life. You who loves in me, you the beloved who's living in me, loving in me, experiencing me in me, so that I can return to you in ecstatic gratitude, the gifts that you have given me of an enlightened mind, a shattered and radiant heart, and an increasingly divinized body through your sheer amazing grace of absolute, unbounded, endlessly expansive love, so that I can finally repay you by just turning up as your wild, holy child, dancing for mum and dad on the burning dance floor. Come what may. I've just given you a taste of what's in Kabir. He wrote thousands of poems, not all of which are canonical, because we really don't know which are the definitive ones. They probably are the ones that were included in the Sikh scriptures. Kabir had a universal influence in India. The Muslims claimed him as Muslim, so they all sing Kabir. The Hindus claimed him as Hindu, so they all sing Kabir. And when the Sikh religion got started, the first Sikh guru was an abject admirer of Kabir because he wanted to bring in this rugged, gorgeous religion of the direct communion. And Kabir had already chanted it, and he included 300 of his greatest poems in the Sikh scriptures. So Kabir's been recognized as this universal mystic by India for a long time, and now the time has come for that to be a recognition that burns at the heart of the sacred world. I think as human beings, one of the most grateful things to give is love, obviously. Yes. And in personal uh, insight, I will say motherhood. I am very grateful about it because we can talk about love but if we don't give our life for that thing that we say we love, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And I would think that to give your life for God or something very divine, that's an experience that not nobody or many, very few people might have. But I think we're all called to be mothers. Men are called to be mothers mother of their own true self, and were called to act with mother love in the world. And that's one of Kabir's greatest teachings. You know, one of the reasons I love Kabir is that Kabir is the greatest poet of animal rights. Kabir was absolutely outraged by the killing of animals. He said to the Hindus, you're supposed to be sacred, Worship life is sacred, and you all eat meat in secret, and you Muslims, you just slaughter endless amounts of animals, and animals are all totally sacred. They have divine consciousness. No other mystic has spoken as nakedly as this. And I've just written a book inspired by this called Saving Animals from Ourselves, which is about 
realizing finally that we're not the kings and queens of this existence, that we share divine consciousness with everything. And in fact, that animals have all kinds of amazing kinds of divine consciousness, which we're just beginning to discover in the last 30 years, a discovery that is as important, I believe, as the quantum field. But Kabir knew that already and is trying to awaken us to that. So, yes, madam. I'm here because um, I practice a Taoist form of meditation called Jindan, the golden elixir. Yes. And yes. so it's this um, alchemical transformational process of refining the human aspects, the human energetic body into the divine here, which is everything yes. that you've been speaking to. And um, all of the great yeah. systems have this secret at their core. Taoist mm -hmm. alchemy and the golden elixir, the secret body, it's there. Shaivism, Shiva worshipped as the golden Shiva in Chidambaram, the in-golden divine human, it's there. Kabbalah, the secret of heart of Kabbalah is a vision of Adam Kadmon, the renovated, resurrected divine human. It's there. At the heart of Christian mysticism is the knowledge that the resurrection birthed a wholly new form of light matter, and that knowledge seeped into the Christian mystical tradition and formed beings who were transfigured, like the Curia of Ars, like Teresa of Avila, people who left as their last sign a body that didn't decay. It's in the work of Aurobindo. It's in the work of Teilhard de Chardin. It's the great secret at the core of all of the mystical traditions, and I'm so happy that you're living it in the Taoist tradition. And it's exactly the same knowledge, isn't it? Because it doesn't lead to a master system. It doesn't lead to a church. It doesn't lead to a religion. It leads to a living extraordinary, ordinary experience of life as a sacred effusion of gold and divinity, doesn't it? Normal life. That's what's so wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it? Is that accurate from your tradition? Yes. There's nothing ordinary to the really extraordinary. Right? Yes, I was curious, when you were living in India, did you first hear of Kabir then? Or when when did you become, well, you're passionate oh, about what a lovely everything, but, but what what all of a sudden drew you into studying Kabir? What what lit your, your heart on fire <laughs> for him? Well... When I was 26, I went to Benares, called Varanasi, for the first time. And Benares is the great holy city of India. It's Shiva's city. It's where every Hindu wants to die because they believe that if you die in Benares and if you're cremated in Benares and if your ashes are scattered on the Ganges in Benares, you achieve liberation as a supreme gift from Shiva. So it's an unspeakably crazy, unspeakably holy place. And I went to Benares for the first time, and I've been 
thank God, many, many times. It's my favorite place on earth. And I went into a little temple, and I was drunk on the adoration that was burning in the temple, the old women singing the name of God. And then this old sadhu, this wild, holy, incredible man came into the temple, nearly totally naked, very thin, with this long white hair and these beads around his neck. And he started to sing in this crazy, gorgeous, wild, golden, lacerating, fierce, piercing voice. And the whole temple started to shake. This is India. This is not the Unitarian Church, right? <laughs> right, you know, in whichever, or the Episcopal Church. This is where people are really ecstatic about God. And I was overwhelmed. My God, this 26-year-old professor from Oxford who'd been born in India, but had half forgotten how wild India really is. He'd be in this tiny temple with all the women going crazy, and this guy naked, practically, singing this astounding song. And I went up to him at the end of it, you know, bowed to him, because I was so moved. And I said, in Hindi, I said, what are you singing? And he said, Kabir, of course. And he turned around and went out of the temple. <laughs> So after that experience, I had to find out who Kabir was. Not that I know, but that I've, that's been my exploration ever since. And I plunged into the different translations. I started to read Robert Bly's translation, then the great scholarly translations that have been made, this amazing work that's been done in the last 20 or 30 years on Kabir by Charlotte Vaudeville and Linda Hess, these women scholars who've rescued Kabir from all the patriarchal guru interpretations and revealed just how radical he really is. And then it came to me that I had to do my own translations, that I had to turn up and finally let myself be burnt alive in the furnace of Kabir so that I could be able to transmit a little bit of what I'd received from him. So that's the journey that I've been on with him and continue to be on with him. Exciting stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's what's exciting, you know, What's most exciting? Shall I tell you? If you this is extra, though. This is ten dollars extra. <laughs> the really exciting thing in life is to let yourself fall madly in love with somebody who people will tell you is a dead mystic, but who you will discover to be more alive than absolutely anyone you meet. It's a revelation of relationship beyond time and space. And I've been very blessed in my life because... The first great soul relationship I had was with Rumi, and it's lasted 40 years and changed me. And that prepared me, that softened me up for this other ecstatic friendship that is the realest experience in my life. And when you open yourself to this kind of experience, you begin to understand that what you think of as this reality is so small. This reality is permeated and crossed by hundreds of thousands of other realms and realities. They're all here waiting to speak to you, waiting to reach out to you, if only you can reach out to them. I wanted to give the poems, the vision, that would enable you to meet him as I've met him, so that he can become alive in you and for you, and your best friend, and your wildest friend, and your fiercest friend, because he'll be all of those things. 
So let the killer in, let him kill you, and he'll rebirth you. There's an amazing poem when Kabir says, I am God's assassin. Yeah. Can you imagine saying that in the modern, soapy, silly, sentimental new age, you know? Oh, that's so negative. I am... God Almighty, you should be so lucky to be killed by Kabir. You should pray that in one lifetime, right, I am God's assassin, and I am waiting for you in the dark alley of abandoned love for when you are finally brave enough to run onto my knife. What Kabir is saying is that he isn't playing pat-a-cake with you. He's not flattering you. He's truth. And he has been destroyed and remade to become truth. And that truth will kill your illusions, but it will also birth you into your essential divine humanity. And he's waiting. He's not going to pretend. He's not going to, he's not going to be sweet with you because he knows that that won't help you. He'll wait there like truth for the moment when you finally realize that there is nothing left for you that's real except to die into the real and to run onto the knife of truth ecstatically longing for the death that is resurrection. That's a very high level of the path. But it's the level that all of us are being summoned to. And it's why the world is exploding now, because very soon it will be obvious that everything is falling apart. And if you think that anything is going to work except the transfigured consciousness, you're deluding yourself, quite honestly. Nothing that we propose from an unhealed, still illusion-ridden consciousness is going to work we're going to have to go through a major transformation, unprecedented, and act compassionately together out of that unprecedented transformation, or we'll die out. We've come to that moment. How amazing. And here's Kabir to help us through. What was the original language of the poetry, and is it a language that you had been studying or that you grew up speaking, and how did you go about translating from that language? Well, Kabir was a revolution in many ways, and one of the most revolutionary things about him is that he spoke in the vernacular of his time, which is an old form of street Hindi. He didn't. Rumi spoke his poems in a very grand Persian that's peppered with Arabic and Greek that is the language of an aristocrat and an inflamed, illumined intellectual. Kabir spoke like a peasant the language of blue-collar workers. That's why he's so loved by the blue-collar workers. He's a peasant who speaks the real, raw street lingo but in the grandest, most beautiful, most piercing, most poignant, most lucid way. I have a smattering of Hindi. I was born in India. I know how to read, but I've needed great help from the scholars because there are terms that Kabir uses which have become ambiguous over time, and so I've used a whole slew of different translations, French, German, Italian, and really come down to my own deepest understanding of the poem and then gone for it. 
And sometimes I've cut out some of the more obscure references so that the essential, laser-like truth of the message can get through for the modern world. But I've done that very rarely because usually Kabir does that himself and just goes straight for the jugular in poem after poem after poem after poem. I, I don't really have a question. Um, first of all, I just would like to tell you that you've... <clears throat> I mean, you've touched me in such a way just listening to you. It was just, I, I got weepy because I was, you know, right thank there you, with darling. you. It was just thank so you. touching. So thank you. Well, um, I'm in love. Yes. No. Yeah. And I, and you can feel it because you could yes. feel it in the room. And so it was I've very an intellectual up here talk. I, this is my <laughs> great passion. I'm sharing it with you because I believe it's actually all of your great passions. And, and what came to mind for me, um, I work in I I work in suicide prevention. I'm a mental health oh, counselor, and I also so do much. bereavement. Um, and one of the things you validated for me is this, because as I as I'm the person witnessing this other person going through severe pain, right. um, I I always try to maintain hope because if I don't have hope, I can't help the other person. I can't help them through their process. Um, And we always say you never get over anything, but you can get through it. Right. You know. Um, But what you've what you've validated for me is that that's also love. That pain, that, that torture that people go through from the, from the loss of a suicide or especially the loss of a suicide because it's one of the hardest losses people have. But it's just this whole thing that that too, that whole process is the divine working itself out through the whole thing. And the way you described it, it was yeah. really just, I just, I feel renewed, I feel recharged because of how you, how you, especially because of the poems, I mean, so thank you. Well, thank you for putting it so bravely, because, and I'll end with this, Rumi is the poet, the supreme universal poet of the tenderness of God, and that's why we love Rumi. In Islamic mysticism, they say that God has two fundamental aspects which interpenetrate. And it's called Jamal, the tender side of God, and then Jalal, which is the ferocious side of God, the side of God that destroys to recreate, the side of God that ordains chaos, that ordains tragedy and horror. And that's God too. And Rumi is the supreme poet of the Jamal side, and Kabir is the supreme poet of the Jalal side. Because Kabir helps us come to that strange place, which you can only come to through grace and very great suffering. That place when you begin to begin to begin to understand that the things that you are most terrified of and most afflicted by are also the workings of love. And when tremendous loss comes into your life, it's not as a punishment, although it can feel and will feel terribly painful. It is 
an opportunity to go beyond your addiction to control, your addiction to thinking that you understand your life, your addiction to trying to fight impermanence, an addiction that actually keeps you from the expansive, wild, holy presence that you can live in when you die into life. So the greatest horrors and chaoses and horror and afflictions and torments are also sent by love to burn you free of yourself. And when you begin to comprehend that through grace, instead of screaming and falling on the floor and complaining and whining and playing your favorite role of unparalleledly wounded victim, you can stay in patience and in mystery and ask love to rebirth you. How wonderful. Am I speaking your language? This is reality, isn't it? It's not our sentimental version of reality. It's what truth is like. And once you get over the challenge of it as far as you can because it'll be continually more challenging until finally you face yourself dying on that bed alone right but if you've done some work and if you've opened yourself up to grace you'll be smiling because you realize that it's just this that's going nothing is leaving right and I hope that we'll all come to that amazing experience that Ramana Maharshi seems to have been in when he was dying. All his disciples were carrying on. That's the role of disciples to scream and shout and fall on the floor. And they were moaning and mourning and wailing and howling. And one of them cried out to Ramana Maharshi, Don't leave us! And apparently his last words were, Where would I we're on the earth to have the experience of deathlessness so that when we come to die we'll be smiling because every death is just a precursor of a wild holy birth right but you have to do the work to find it out. And the greatness of the mystical poets is that they inspire the hell and the heaven out of you to do the work so that you can find out yourself what they're talking about. Isn't that amazing? So never think that we've been abandoned, my friends. We have the whole work of Rumi. We have the whole work of Kabir. We have all of the great mystical traditions translated now into our living language. We have hundreds of practices that were kept secret for millennia now available to us. And most of all, we have a crisis so overwhelming that if this doesn't make us serious about the spiritual life, there's absolutely no hope for us. So what an amazing time to be alive. Let's go for it.